Our gospel reading this morning is from Mark chapter 7, and it's verses 31 through 37. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we thank you for your word which you have given to us, and Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed. God, that we would have ears to hear, minds to think, and hearts that are ready to receive your word into our lives. And we pray that you would help us uh, to hear your word, to think through it, to receive it into our lives, not on our terms, but on yours. Lord, that we would understand better who you are, the way that you are working in this world and in our lives. That we would understand better what it means to be your people and to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark seven thirty one through 37. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Turning then to our New Testament reading, Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. As Paul continues his letter to the church in Galatia. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman. You who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud. You who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And all of that uh, argument he has there is building up to what comes next. So uh, we will get to that next week. 
But first of all, for today, we are looking at uh, Genesis chapter 49, 1 through 28. Genesis, the book of Genesis, has 50 chapters. It starts in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And it goes on from there all through uh, the creation. And as it gets to uh, near the, the end of creation, we see things like um, oh, let's see, what is it? On day five, he's created the things of the sky and the sea, and it says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Then God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind, and so it was, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And it continues from there. And we have in the very beginning, people being created to rule over God's good world and God blessing his people as they do so, that they are being blessed in order to be a blessing in this creation that he has made. And then we move on from there. We, you know, we hear about the very bad day that we read about in, um, in the children's sermon. And that's not the end of the story. And so we see in chapter 12, God calling this family, this man named Abram, And he says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And the rest of the book of Genesis, we've been following that family and the way in which they are to be a blessing and whether or not that's actually happening along the way. And now we're nearing the very end of, of the book. I said there's 50 chapters. Today we're looking at chapter 49, verses 1 through 28. And we see a a time where uh, Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, is getting ready to die. And before he does, he calls together his family to bless them. Uh, And it's a really interesting blessing that he gives, that that it is a way of... um, well, some of it's blessing, some of it's cursing, <laughs> uh, but it's a way of not just saying, hey, you know what? I hope things go well for you. But it's actually a way that um, is predictive of what, how things will be going for them, not just as individuals, but as the whole family line. But before we get into that specifically, uh, Bible Project just came out with a video on blessing and curse. And it, I think, will be very helpful in 
uh, thinking through this whole topic uh, today. So, Andrew, are you ready to pull that up for us? All right, here we go. Helpful, right? In uh, tracing those biblical themes all the way through, we're going to do something similar. We're going to, but specifically looking at uh, Genesis forty-nine, one through twenty-eight, with these uh, the way that Jacob blesses his sons, and uh, and this is just as I say, right at the end of the book that began uh, with. God blessing his people. And now as we've been following the story through, we see Jacob blessing his people in a way that kind of mirrors that and um, brings a fitting conclusion to the book, although it's not quite concluded yet. (laughs) This is a book that's had multiple conclusions and each one continues to point us forward. We'll see the same thing today. Uh, As we go through the uh, scripture text itself, I have put on the slides that kind of separate it by person that it's um, that he's talking about. I think this will be helpful. We're not actually going to talk about every single one of them. Um, we're mainly going to talk about the ones that he spends the most time on. And so you'll be able to see pretty clearly which ones he talks about more and which ones not as much. Okay, here we go. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, my first, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. For you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. Simeon and Levi... Our brothers, their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger, so fierce, and their fury, so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His border will extend toward Sidon. Issachar is a raw-boned donkey lying down among the sheep pens. When he sees how good his resting, is his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor. Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider tumbles backward. I look for your deliverance, Lord. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. 
Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber. Because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the almighty who blesses you, with blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast and womb, your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey. In the evening he divides the plunder. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. All right. There are uh, 12 of them that he uh, is blessing here by name. And of those, which two do you think we're going to talk about? Did you catch it? How long he mentioned a couple of these? Yeah, it's, it's Judah and Joseph. Those are the two. And actually, those are the two that we've been bringing up again and again as we have neared the end of Genesis, saying that really from chapter 37 on, we think of it as the story of Joseph, and yet it's really the story of Judah and Joseph. And we've seen those two stories kind of weave their way together as we go through. And right here, we find them kind of coming together as the two uh, that are the ones that are highlighted here in the blessings for Jacob's sons. And yet, we do get a little bit of uh, play on some other things. Uh, so, for example, Reuben and Simeon and Levi, who were actually older than uh, Judah. And it seems like maybe they should have been in the place of prominence. And so each one, they get a little bit more as kind of way of disqualification. And so Reuben, who slept with his father's concubine, is like, well, then, no, you're not going to be the one who is going to be um, the leader <laughs> in the future. And then you've got Simeon and Levi. And if you remember that, that story, that's when uh, we have the uh, Shechem who rapes their sister, and they go, well, we're going to get back at not only him, but everybody around there. And so they say, hey, you can marry her if everybody in your community will get circumcised first. And so they say, okay, that sounds like a fair deal. And they all get circumcised. And while they are still in pain, Simeon and Levi come through and slaughter them all. And so uh, Jacob, uh, and that's one, of the, yeah, that's one of those things that make a great movie. And you're like, oh, Simeon and Levi. But <laughs> in the kingdom of God, it's saying that is not how that was to be handled. <laughs> And so Jacob, in pronouncing his blessing, says, you all have disqualified yourselves from this position of leadership because you could not control your anger. Um, sure, you may have been able to uh, explain and justify how it was righteous anger, and yet. Um, and that's exactly what they do when they're, if you read back, in that story, they're like, well, is, should we just let them do that to our sister? Well, that is not the only other option. But anyway, so he says they've disqualified themselves. And then you look at Judah, the next oldest. 
And what is the, the promise here? The promise that this bl- blessing brings with it is that he's going to be the one that actually rules over all the rest of them. And not only all the rest of the brothers. This is kind of an echo of Joseph. Remember the dreams that he had in his childhood where uh, he has these dreams of all his brothers bowing down to him? We see that same kind of thing here, but now it's not Joseph anymore. Now it's Judah. Judah is the one that all the brothers are going to bow down to him. And not just his brothers, but he's going to rule over other nations too. And so uh, verse 10, you know, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Isn't that something? That he is going to be kind of this king of kings. Uh, Not necessarily him personally, but someone from his family line. Um, This is what we see with Judah. And we go, but wait a second. Didn't Judah disqualify himself too? Isn't Judah the one who actually came up with the idea of selling Joseph, his brother, into slavery in Egypt? We go back and check, and yes, sure enough, it was Judah. And you go, well, that's not what we want, is it, as a king? We don't want somebody like that leading everybody. And that is true. (laughs) But there's something that happens later in Judah's life where we see kind of this redemption of Judah. And that is when... uh, and we looked at this several weeks ago now, and it is when uh, Joseph, as a leader over Egypt, is uh, testing his brothers to see where they are now. Uh, not geographically, but where they are in their character. And he says he's going to keep Benjamin, and Judah will not have it. Judah offers himself up and says uh, that he, basically he's going to lay down his life for the good of his brother. That's what we see. He's offering himself in exchange for Benjamin. And it is uh, that, and we noted at the time, that this is uh, the revealing of the character of Judah as someone who is now actually, not in his younger days, but now is revealing the character of God. This, I think, is why when we get to this point in, uh, in the story, Jacob says it's going to be through the family line of Judah. Not Reuben, not Simeon, not Levi. It's Judah. That's who this is going to come through. Because the leader who's going to lead all the people needs to be somebody who is reflecting the character of God. This is what we see in Genesis 1 with the people who are supposed to be ruling over all of God's good creation. And how are they first described? As being created in the image of God. Because as they rule... They are to reflect him and his rule and his goodness into all the creation. Moving on, we get to uh, Joseph. And here, Joseph is currently a ruler in Egypt. And yet that's not the blessing that he gets as the one who's going to be the king over everybody else. That goes to Judah. Joseph, though, it's abundance and blessing in, uh, in this sense. And we see the, uh, the double portion kind of thing. And we talked about that last week with uh, Jacob as he blesses Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, Joseph's two sons. 
And this is a way of giving him the double portion of inheritance of everybody else. And that's what we see here as well. Um, And then, of course, as he describes this, he says it's because, like all this is going to happen because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd of Israel, the rock, or the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you, the blessings of the skies above, the blessings brings. You. This is uh, all what is coming from God, who is good and who is faithful and who can be trusted, and it is the uh, trusting of God that leads to this blessing. Well, that's what we saw earlier on in uh, you know Genesis one, two, and three. It's the you, created not only to rule, but also to be blessed in order to be a blessing, but that there is also this, that blessing comes as a result of trusting in God. We see the same kind of thing here as we're moving forward. Um, so now the question I have to ask is as you read through all 12 of these, who is it, which one of the 12 points us to Jesus. Is it Judah? Or is it a trick question? (laughs) Of course it's a trick question. It's all 12. That Jesus is the one who uh, actually is uh, the, the true Israel. And it's all 12 tribes of Israel that point to Jesus in one way or another. And we don't have the time to really walk through each of these. Some of these are a little cryptic even. <laughs> but, um, but all 12 point to Jesus somehow. And, uh, but particularly, as we've mentioned, Judah and Joseph, uh, we see that quite a bit. Joseph's whole story we've mentioned before is the story of going from... Um, kind of point A to point B, (laughs) but not by way of a straight line, but it's that going down before he goes up. The going down to Egypt, down to uh, slavery, down to prison, and then up, exalted over everyone else. This is what we see. His whole life story kind of points us to Jesus in this way. We see with Judah, we've talked about that before, of the, the way that he is willing to lay down his life for his brothers. That points us to Jesus. And when we look at this, um, these blessings that Jacob gives now, we see the same kinds of things, the blessings that we see in, uh, in Jesus. My goodness. If you open the book of Matthew and you're just reading through, you get to the first big sermon that Jesus preaches. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. How does he start that out? Blessed. Are the, uh, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And he goes on, but it's this, he's pronouncing his blessing on the people that you wouldn't think, that you wouldn't think of as being blessed. And so we see this, uh, this blessing in Jesus. We see him undoing the curse. That's, that's what all these uh, healings are pointing us to is the end of the brokenness of creation and the redemption and the healing of all creation. 
And we see it in Jesus happening at these specific moments in time and history and space with particular individual people, but it's always pointing us to the bigger thing that's going on, that Jesus is the one who's coming to undo the curse and bring about the blessing. And of course, the way that Judah and his uh, the blessing he receives points us to Jesus is, uh, you, you hear, we sang about it earlier, the Lion of Judah, Right? In the Bible, are lions typically depicted as good things or bad things? Again, a trick question. (laughs) They're often depicted as bad things, as threats. We even see the devil depicted as uh, one who prowls around like a lion seeking who he can devour. And so seeing a lion here, we're not like automatically going, that's a great thing, it's a lion. Seems kind of dangerous. On the other hand, um, the way that is depicted here is that he is uh, dangerous to the enemy, uh, the, the one who has been seeking to destroy God's good creation. But the way that he defeats him is in a very different way than we might expect. And this is what we see in Uh, Revelation 5, which is what the song we sang earlier was based on. We are going to be ending the book of Genesis here in a couple weeks. And when we do, this summer we're starting in on the book of Revelation. And so I don't have to explain all this right now. Just keep coming back. We'll we'll go through this in more detail. But when um, we get this reference to the Lion of Judah here, when it says, uh, I saw, Gen- Revelation 5, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside You take every person who has ever lived, you take every person you have ever seen or known, every person you've ever seen on TV or heard on the radio, and you say, are they worthy to open the scrolls? Are they worthy to break the seals? The answer is no. You look in the mirror. Am I worthy to do that? No. And that's where John weeps and weeps because how will this be open? How will we know? what this message is from God to his people. But then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And it goes on from there. Uh, some interesting imagery we'll get into this summer. <laughs> but then it, uh, the scroll is given to him. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign 
on the earth. And then later, the angels, many, many angels, encircling the throne and saying in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Four living creatures said, Amen. The elders fell down and worshipped. I know, it's weird imagery, we'll get into that. But there's this Lion of Judah, this Lion of Judah who is the one who has triumphed, who has defeated evil. And you go, well, how did that happen? And he says, look, it's the Lion of Judah. And so then John looks, and what does he see? A slain lamb. That it is in the death of Jesus, it's the giving up of his own life, that he defeated evil. It's weird, isn't it? You think you're going to see the Lion of Judah, and it's going to be this um, very powerful military figure. That's what all the disciples thought, too. That's what people were expecting the Messiah to be, this Lion of Judah who comes in and just beats up all the people that we don't like. And then Jesus comes and he says, hey, all those people that you think are going to be, you know, (laughs) problematic. Well, yeah, they are going to be problematic, but they're going to kill me. But that's the way that this victory is going to occur. And Peter, who's been following Jesus around, who's been hearing him and seeing the things he does, the signs of this new kingdom, says, that can't possibly be right. Jesus, I think you got this backwards. You're the one who's supposed to win over them. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but but merely human concerns. In other words, yeah, that's exactly the way that Adam and Eve were thinking when they took the fruit, listening to the serpent. I know what's right here, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do the thing that I, I don't care what God says about it. That's irrelevant. No, no. And so the defeating of evil actually comes in a way that is the way of Jesus, but it is not the way of the world. It is the way of the kingdom of God. It is not the way of our earthly kingdoms. But it's because he is the one who gets it right that we also see him at the end on the throne, that we see him um, as the one who is ruling, that this is the one that it said in, uh, in Genesis 49, that the scepter would not depart from Judah or the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention this earlier, but if you trace out uh, the family line of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, yeah, he comes from the line of Judah, uh, descended from David uh, in this kingly sense that he would rule over not just Israel, but over all the nations, which is what we see again at the end. And of course, he's the one person who should be ruling over everything. And then when it comes to him ruling over us, 
That is the, the question, isn't it? Like, if he's going to rule over everything, that means he rules over us too, right? It is really interesting. We were reading in Mark earlier, and it says, uh, after he heals this guy, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. I find it fascinating that Jesus commands the wind and the waves to be still, and they're still. He has absolute authority over his creation. But people can choose to disobey. And so there are times where he commands, he commands the ears to be opened, and they're open. And then he commands people, okay, now don't talk about it. And they're like, I'll think about it. We have a choice. Are we going to follow him and serve him as our rightful king and Lord or not? We have a choice. And uh, getting back to the theme of blessing and cursing and all that, we mention this from time to time because I think that this is one of the uh, passages that really, especially in our day and time, gets to the heart of whether we are those who are following Jesus or following others instead. Here's what it is. This is Luke chapter um, 6, verses 27 and 28. Jesus says, But to you who are listening, I say, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who who mistreat you. There are a lot of people today who will tell you not to follow that advice. They say that is a terrible way to do anything in the world today. And basically what they're saying is times have changed so much so that Jesus no longer knows what he's talking about. I disagree. (laughs) I think that times were pretty bad when he said this. And that when he was talking to people about those who persecute them and those who curse them, there were people who were actually going to be killing the very people he's talking to. And he doesn't say, well, as long as things are going well and as long as it's working out just fine, as long as your bank account is full, then you can try these things. But if things start turning south, maybe try something else. He says, but to you who are listening, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. We can choose to disobey. But when we do, what we're saying is the same thing that Adam and Eve said earlier on. I think I know better. I'd rather follow the snake. That's not a good way. But when we choose to follow Jesus, what we're saying is, I don't see how this is going to work out well, but I trust you. I trust that you know what you're talking about. 
I trust that you know what your creation is really all about. I trust that you really are the rightful king over the universe, over this world, and over my life. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do. um, We thank you for your word that you've given to us. God, most of all, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. God, we pray that you would give us the courage to follow. God, help us not to be... uh, those who are so focused on what is pragmatic or that we miss what is true, what is faithful, and what is good. Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember who you are and to walk with you daily. God, that more and more we would come to be those who not only experience your blessing in our lives, but reflect your character more and more as we extend your blessing to others. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.